0: welcome to the association of child protection professionals podcast a weekly podcast where we alongside guest hosts share with you the latest in child and family news every week we invite safeguarding professionals with expertise in either research or practice to give us their perspective on the stories relating to children and families there has never been a more important time to keep up with safeguarding But with the government regulation changing daily, we realise that not all frontline professionals for adults and children have time to do so. That is why we've created these podcasts to give you what you need to stay informed. Today, we have a special episode for you. In these special episodes, we take a more focused look at a singular issue relating to child or family safeguarding that you need to know about. These are often specific and urgent So we are taking the time with the professionals at the forefront of this issue. But first, let's hear a few words from the AOCPP team. Hello, I'm Vicki Hill from the AOCPP team, and I'm here to tell you about our current free membership trial. We're offering a free membership trial until the 31st of August this year. We realize that the next few months will continue to put pressure on child protection professionals, particularly those working on the front line and that's why we're opening our resources to as many of you as possible. Those who sign up for membership will receive online access to our highly respected journal, Child Abuse Review. You get discounted entry to our future events, workshops and conferences and access to our special virtual webinar this August on abusive head trauma. So much more on offer as well. So sign up for your free membership now and go to childprotectionprofessionals.org.uk to join. Thanks very much. Hi, I'm Wendy Thurgood, the Chair of the Association of Child Protection Professionals and your host for today. In today's episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Sam Warner about bonding and attachment for new mums that have babies born during COVID and how practitioners can support them. Dr. Sam Warner is a Chartered and Clinical Consultant Psychologist holding an honorary lectureship in the School of Health Society at Salford University. Sam works as a consultant, expert witness, psychotherapist, public speaker, strategic advisor, trainer, writer and academic. She has over 30 years experience working with children, young people and adults who have complex mental health and safeguarding needs. Throughout her career, Sam has specialised in working with the impact of abuse trauma on mental health clients, focusing on sexual violence, child abuse, neglect and domestic abuse. And in respect of related issues, including attachment difficulties and personality disorders, self-harm and suicide, disassociation and psychosis, and fabricated and induced illness. Sam is an expert in trauma informed practice and how this approach can be used to guide work in safeguarding, therapy and mental health services. She has written books, papers and reports on these issues and advised nationally and at an international level. She's also a very valued trustee at the AOCPP. Today, as I say, we're particularly looking at the attachment and bonding in relation to new babies and infants. And equally, we're going to be reflecting on our training that we do together, fabricated and induced illness, and how some professionals may mistake anxiety for fabricated and induced. It's a common thing that happens. People push it into that direction. Just to start with, the reason this is important, we have seen an increase in shaking babies nationally. There's been an increase in deaths and babies harmed. We know that the first two weeks of COVID, there was 16 deaths in relation to domestic homicide. So when you're looking at new mums that may feel quite isolated and not actually have professionals going into the home, which is what we particularly want to focus on and why we see this as an important sign for midwives and health visitors in particular but it will equally be the GPs when they're doing the six-week check to have some of these pointers in the back of their minds so we may drift into domestic abuse. So when we're actually looking at the bonding and attachment um, the mums may have had an unusual delivery situation where they haven't had their partners in with them and they're discharged after six hours that's the minimum stay And these mums may not be ready to actually cope with the breastfeeding and the stress of a new baby without the support of professionals. The telephone contacts are happening, but face-to-face contacts aren't happening. And, of course, there are lots of interaction with mums if they reach out, and equally they will be getting their set phone calls. But for a, a mum who's quite vulnerable, who's experienced a hard delivery, I think we just want to explore how that bonding could be interrupted. So, Sam, what's your thoughts on that?
1: In order to understand that attachment and bonding process, I guess it's important to think of the baby first. And babies are pro-social. We know that they're pro-social because as soon as they're born, under ordinary circumstances, they cry. They make lots of noise. And they continue to do that. And what they're doing when they do that is to invite somebody to care for them. And through that process of having their needs met, they learn that their vocalisations, their sounds, their noise invites people to look after them, to feed them, to cuddle them, to change them, to play with them, to do all sorts of things. So their noise Is actually a really big part of their bonding process because when they're very little, obviously they can't move independently. We know that they're pro social because they do a lot of eye contact, they will mimic the person with them as soon as they're born within minutes. They will, you know, if someone sticks their tongue out, they'll do that back. So they're very orientated towards people. If you show them, again, when they're very little, very tiny babies, if you show them pictures of people's faces and you compare that with showing them pictures of people's faces but cut up and put in the wrong order, they will turn their heads towards the pictures of people's faces that look like faces. So they're very pro-social. They are looking for someone to come and care for them. And this is obviously different from some animals who come out, they can walk already, you know, when they're born, they can come out, they can walk, they can run, they have a level of independence that human babies don't. So they're looking for something. And in terms of what we're able to give them then will impact how they organise their attachment system thereafter. In terms of building that attachment... If we think of attachment in terms of arousal, so this is about babies having a need and then getting into a high state of emotional arousal so they get more and more distressed until someone meets that need and then they feel really calm and they get really chilled and that keeps happening in a consistent way. So need, need met, chilled out, etc. They become attached. They learn to attach to the people who provide that care. They feel safe.
0: That's really good, Sam. How do you think that will be affected to a mum who's feeling quite fragile in the ability to be able to meet that baby's needs? So I think the difficulty
1: comes that when mums have some kind of trauma around their birth, and that may be because they're having to do that without their partner or without their birth supporter, if they feel isolated, what we know is that lots of mums get baby blues that becomes exaggerated or becomes even worse when people don't feel they have that supportive relationship around them. So if they're to provide that kind of seamless, consistent, predictable care for their babies, they need to feel loved and contained and supported. One of the issues with COVID is it takes away those normal, usual support systems that mums have. So being isolated in hospital, not being able to have those little five-minute conversations that are just reassuring. And whilst the care that people can get in hospital and in those immediate few hours and days is important, it's the love and care and support from people that mums have in their lives, whether that's their partners, whether it's their own mums, or whether it's their friends. When that happens, mums can feel overwhelmed by their own feelings and feel very tearful, very sad. They may equally and in an opposite direction just feel very shut down and numb. If they're feeling numb and shut down or if they're feeling emotionally overwhelmed, it's very difficult then to provide the kind of support that babies need. Because babies will be overwhelmed by their feelings. Their nervous systems are very young, they're not developed. So for them, everything is very, very big. And it's only as they grow and develop and they have that support and care that they learn to manage their own feelings. And how they do that is through the help of their carers. So if I go back to that attachment cycle, what you have is a baby who has a need in a physical sense to be picked up, to be loved. To be fed, to be changed, and they experience their distress around that physical need internally. So inside them, they have a jumble of feelings, which at this point are undifferentiated, they're just big. And when they have that need met, it's not just that that person meets that physical need, they also talk that baby through it. So, what carers do is, in effect, provide a running commentary. What they say is, oh, look at you. You're sad. You're crying. I wonder what's wrong with you. Oh, look at that. You've got a dirty nappy. Let's change that. Now you feel better. Now you feel happy. So when people give that running commentary, they're helping babies and the children they'll become develop a working model for understanding their feelings. And that's external because that's someone else saying it. And obviously, when babies are young, it's the tone that's important. But gradually, that helps them develop an internal working model for describing their own feelings to themselves. And that helps them manage it. So if you have a mum who is overwhelmed by her own feelings or feels very numb and shut down, they're not experiencing a healthy relationship with their own emotions. So It's very difficult then for babies to develop their own ability to manage their emotions or begin that process of understanding them.
0: Yeah, I saw that as a practitioner when we used to do the postnatal support groups. We used to have the mums come in for their therapy and you could definitely see the mums that were getting better and how the babies were improving to the mums that were really shut down. The babies were equally shut down not gaining weight and looking sort of quite lost and sad in relation to their attachment. For professionals, they really have to be alert so they can pick up on some of the cues. So if mums are having conversations with a midwife or a health visitor, what should the health visitors and midwives really be looking for?
1: The important thing is to have some understanding of the kind of mental well-being of the mum. So where are they emotionally, because that's going to impact how the babies will be, because they're very much connected, obviously, at that age. It's understanding their mum's emotional world, because that impacts babies, but also what kind of support they've got. If there is an absence of support or it's not the right kind of support, then it's about making really practical suggestions for what other people can do. So whether that is about, I, I, I remember when I had my children, one of the most important things was a really simple one, but it was just sleep when they sleep. Because if you're exhausted, as well as you've had a traumatic birth, it's very hard to manage your feelings if you haven't slept for what feels like 24 hours. Uh, yeah, 24 hours. I think I was just traumatising myself then. So, <laughs> yeah. So sleep. Is really important. And to begin with, babies are just not organised in how they sleep. So, really, give yourself permission to have a sleep. Don't feel like you have to be looking your best. You won't. And we're locked down. So, you're not going to have access to hairdressers or stuff like that. And if you don't get dressed, fine, that's okay. Obviously, if you haven't changed your clothes for a week, then that's going to be a sign that something is wrong.
0: Yeah. So Sam, that's really good. You talked about just picking up on the showing them photos, but how do you think mums are going to feel that they're not integrating the baby? Do you think that we're going to go down that path of having babies that are going to be shy of strangers because they can't meet them in those early few days? Whereas if you think back in the 60s when babies were born, you were on bed rest for 10 days and you had very limited visiting, but actually the bonding and attachment and the recovery of the mums were quite good now we're looking at possibly an extra couple of months where these babies will only have fleeting glances and maybe not be held by a stranger so how do you think that will affect the babies
1: I think the first thing to remember is that fear of strangers is a normal stage of development so that's going to happen so really don't worry about it if we think about where fear of strangers comes from it comes from that attachment process So the first things that babies do is recognise their particular people. And they do that quite early. So you can do an experiment where you put breast milk on pads and you have one of a stranger, one of mum's. Babies, if they're breastfed, will turn their head towards the mum's breast pads. So recognition happens very early. The attachment system proper or in in a more sophisticated way kicks in a bit later. What babies begin to do is recognise that they have particular people. So even if babies are going out or seeing grandparents once a month or going to a playgroup once a week, whatever, those people may not be their particular people anyway. The particular people are the people who provide that 24-7, day-in, day-out care. And most babies will be with somebody for a large part of their time for the first six months of their life, even if they then go to nursery. So as that happens, babies move from not just recognising their particular people, they begin to understand that their particular people exist independently of them and still exist when they leave their door. So when they're very young, out of sight, out of mind. But towards the second half of that first year, Babies get to grips with the idea that their mums, their dads, whoever they are, when they leave the room, they're still out there. And that's when Fear of Strangers kicks in, because that's when they know they've got somebody who belongs to them, who is independent of them, but they can get back. And when they know that, that's when they get very, very vocal again in their attachments. That's usually around eight to ten months So paradoxically that's usually when babies go to nursery which is actually really hard for them because that's the point at which they've really got to grips with these are my particular people. Now they have to then get used to not always being with their particular people or getting used to other particular people in nursery and that can be unsettling, that can be difficult and certainly it's not helpful to just Leave a crying baby and disappear some of the time because they continue to fear that every time you leave the door, then you might disappear again. But somewhere that is an, a usual stage of development, and that will happen with or without COVID. So it may be that under COVID, that baby's particular people are absolutely their particular people, but it's sort of like that anyway.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying is that. Mums don't need to be too anxious about that. And of course, we have the use of technology, don't we, where they will be hearing voices via perhaps you know Skype and Zoom and whatever else, how you're contacting each other. So it's something to reassure the parents and the caregivers of these children, isn't it? So that's really good for the normal phases and for a mum that's coping. What about a mum who's getting hyper-anxious about the infection? and perhaps has unaddressed mental health issues that have been triggered through covid i'm thinking more of people will liken it to fabricating induced illness because they will become so paranoid but in our training we talk about anxiety and the actual inducement Um, i really just want to focus on the anxiety side and how we can get professionals to sort of calm that situation down do you have any suggestions there
1: well, I guess the first thing is to understand that anxiety, again, is going to be part of the lockdown experience. It's also very much part of the having babies experience. It is particularly so usually if it's your first baby, because you have no experience of that. And and I can say this as a child clinical psychologist, that when I brought my first baby home, I have three children I couldn't believe people were just letting me go home with this tiny thing on my own. (laughs) And my worries about getting it right, doing the right thing and all of that, you know, we're up there. So this is a normal, natural, ordinary experience that happens again anyway. It is particularly acute if you have a baby with underlying conditions. Again, to use a personal experience, my first child was in the ICU because of complications to do with the birth. So my anxieties around him when I brought him home were double because of that and because he was my first child. I have to say he's a big strapping lad now, he's okay. I then had twins and I was much calmer with them (laughs) because there was no complications at birth and I'd had one, so I wasn't quite as anxious. So I guess in terms of people having anxiety, this is an ordinary thing. If you have, if there are worries about the child that are existing, But perhaps you bring your own worries and upset and hurt and trauma from the past. That may impact just how much anxiety you're going to have. If you have perhaps got some difficulties, let's say you have some difficulties with learning. So you may be over anxious to do the right thing because you know you're not very good at learning stuff that can increase your worry and your desire to get permission and validation from professionals who can tell you that things are all right. Or like to say, you have your own trauma, your own worries, something's gone wrong in your life, you don't want that to happen for your child. Again, that can increase your anxieties and your need for reassurance from professionals. So I guess the thing that's important with professionals is not to be dismissive. When mums And it is largely mums in this situation, but not entirely. When mums feel that their fears are dismissed, when they see something that's not right, it just makes their anxiety go up further. What they need is reassurance and explanation around why they might be anxious and how their anxiety can have real impacts on their child. Not because they're deliberately wanting to hurt them, but because they're deliberately wanting to keep them safe. But that in terms of anxiety, anxiety can have real physical impacts, not just on babies, but also on adults. And one way of helping adults to understand how their anxiety can have real physical effects on children is to think about conditions like migraines, which are hugely, intensely and awfully painful in a physical sense, but can be triggered by stress. They can be triggered by an emotion.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. So I just want to tease out more about the mothers that are going to become really hypersensitive about taking their baby out because of COVID. So how could we be reassuring them in relation to that anxiety that not just because they're a new mum, that's going to be like a lot of people are going to fear picking up the infection, aren't they? But I think new mums perhaps are going to be hypersensitive. We're already seeing that in the fact that some mothers don't want to send their children back to school because of the risk of actually getting the infection. And the fear of coming out of lockdown is very real for some people. So these mums are going to be experiencing that and they're going to be turning to health visitors perhaps for advice.
1: So we are obviously taking guidance from the government. I think we also have to make sense of what our reasonable fears. So we need some sense of confidence that if we are going to be putting our children in a group situation with non-family members or non-household members, that we have every confidence that the professionals that we leave our children with are going to be taking the appropriate measures to keep our children safe. In terms of what we do, If we're taking our babies out, our children out, then we follow the guidance that keeps us safe. And we know that children and babies in general seem not to have the same symptomatic reaction to the coronavirus. But in terms of what we do, we do all the things that we would do ordinarily in terms of looking after them, in terms of being with them, in terms of monitoring them, in terms of keeping them clean, keeping ourselves and our hands clean and to do what feels okay for us. So as we have more information about the coronavirus, as we have more information about what happens next, that is about a relationship not just between mums and dads and baby, but it's also about mums, dads and the professionals and the world in which we live.
0: Yeah I think that's some really good points and I think we've covered most of what we wanted to talk about today and thank you very much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation. I'm sure professionals that listen to it could perhaps even share this with the mums couldn't they? They could actually get the mums to actually hear this. We talk a lot about hearing the voice of the victim but this would be a really good one for mums just to hear that actually what they're going through is normal it's just exaggerated So it's been really helpful and useful. So thank you, Sam. Thank you. And Sam, do you want to say anything about how they could access you if they wanted to? So
1: if anybody wants to follow up on these issues, we can have a longer conversation or perhaps a webinar on attachment, on fabricated and induced illness, on child development. Please get in touch with the association and we hope we can help.
0: If there are any specific topics you want to discuss in future episodes, email us at hello at aozpp.org.uk. And if you'd like more information about the Association of Child Protection Professionals, please visit our website at childprotectionprofessionals.org.uk. Thank you, Wendy Farragut Association of Child Protection Professionals Chair.